Hi, you reached Detective Shannon Dawson of the Toronto Homicide Squad. I'm unavailable to take your call right now, but leave a message and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Record your message at the tone. When you are finished, hang up or press pound for more options. Oh, hello, Detective Dawson. It's Ray Wood calling again. Um, I'm just after a little bit more uh, information on the murder in September of Simon Giannini. Um, If I could leave another message, you've got my number. If you could give me a quick call. Thanks very much. While I was researching for this second episode, I decided to reach out once again to the lead detective on the case. It was my seventh attempt. Naturally, it's her decision to pick up the phone and talk to me or not, and for the record, I make no judgement as I have no knowledge of how a homicide case is conducted. There's been very little in the press since the murder, and nothing from Toronto Police, and I guess More than anything else, I'm curious about the silence. And by the way, if you missed episode one, I'm going to suggest you listen to it first because that will set you up perfectly for this episode. But in a nutshell, here's what happened. On September 16, 2017, a hooded gunman entered a crowded upmarket Toronto restaurant and shot real estate agent Simon Giannini four times before running outside and jumping into a getaway car. I'm Ray Wood, and this is Who Killed the Agent. In the days immediately following the execution... Every crime journalist in North America's fourth biggest city wrote the story up and speculated about possible motive and potential suspects. I've got to admit, the crime intrigued me. First, because it's one of our own. Real estate agent Simon Giannini had his own radio show, was a published author, and by all reports and the lack of any comment or evidence to the contrary, was a nice guy. So who would want him dead? Second... This isn't Mexico. Toronto has one of the lowest murder rates for a city this size. Are we no longer safe to walk the streets or meet friends for drinks and dinner? Toronto reminds me a lot of Melbourne. Amazing food, big on the arts, and enriched by a wonderful multicultural mix of friendly residents who feel safe on the streets and highways of Canada's biggest city. And third, the silence is intriguing. Not a whisper or a rumour. Nothing on talk radio, nothing in the papers, and nothing online. Just a void. Getting a call back from a journalist who originally wrote a piece about this crime was like trying to get a call back from Detective Dawson. At the end of episode one, I really thought I had a lead, but it turned to dust. Then one day, out of the blue, I get a call back from Toronto star journalist Peter Edwards, and I got a lot more than I bargained for. Peter is a staff reporter with The Star and the author of 15 non-fiction books on organised crime. He's also executive producer for the television series Bad Blood, based on the book he co-authored by the same name about mafia boss Vito Rizzuto. Peter not only has a theory, he takes us deep into the murky world of organised crime and gangs and shares his ideas and eventually how he thinks the crime will be solved. Here's my interview with Peter.
So, Peter, based on what you know, uh, do you have a theory as to who might be behind this murder? Uh, I keep switching back and forth. Like there, there, there are a lot of theories that you can make a pretty good argument for. I, the, the one thing I'd really like to know would be um, one of the restaurant employees ran out and got the license plate of the vehicle he left in. I'd, I'd love to know where that led to. I think um, well, one thing with police, when they're doing this sort of thing, they sometimes try to block out all of the theories and just go exactly what do they have on evidence. Yeah. Like what, you know, he, he had the bee on his jacket, the hitman. He had a way of walking there. He seemed to be communicating with someone in the restaurant. If I was a police officer, I'd want to know exactly who were the 140 people in the restaurant and which one of them was on a phone at the time that he was communicating. Yeah, there's I mean, a, that, that would be the route I'd go. There's a, I, I was thinking the same thing because I think it's like the third step down, he, he kind of dips his head, which is, which is something characteristically that someone would do if they were trying to hear something more clearly. Um, so we don't know that he had a headset or was on the phone because he had the hood completely covering his 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 head and most of his face. But if there if there was somebody inside who was communicating, um, that would that would explain uh, why he may be dipped like that to to try and get a better idea because. Clearly, he'd never been in there before because when he first goes in there, he goes the wrong way. He heads actually to another restaurant. Yeah, and he when he does that head dip, he seems to be pulling a bit on his sleeve, um, to, and you don't see his hands. And my feeling is that he's probably palming the gun at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, otherwise, why would you care about your hands? Yeah, he he wanted to have the the weapon ready. Um, so I guess. It would appear that for someone to go into a restaurant like that full of diners, which would have to be the busiest time of night on the busiest night of the week, do you think that means that he wanted to get as much publicity for this as possible? Uh, There's a chance, but then if you're the hitman, you really just want to do it and get out safely. My feeling is that it was a, it's a very high-end restaurant, and so people don't just um, sort of dine and dash. If someone is there, you've probably got a um, a chance at seeing them for an hour or so. And so I think it was more, more that also it's a big restaurant, but not a huge restaurant. It's not, um, there are a lot of um, other high end restaurants that are a lot bigger. It's, it's at 140 people, which isn't that many, you know, if, um, yeah. If you're going in there and you're trying to quickly sort out who to get, I, I think it's it's a manageable place. Yeah. There's um there's been no further information from the Toronto police since the press conference back in September, which was the Wednesday after the Saturday night um killing. Uh you've been covering crime and murder in, in Toronto for a long time now. Do you do you think based on based on the reaction from the police so far or 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 based on the lack of the lack of publicity, would you think that they have a suspect at this point? I think they probably have um, a half a dozen what they call uh, people of interest, like people who who are very possible. Um, this one, you have his business, his brother's business, his personal life. Um, there, there are a lot of different avenues, and so I think they're probably pouring over video trying to get something 
of someone who was in the in the restaurant um, on a on a phone or communicating texting at the time the hitman was coming down the stairs. I think that's probably the thread they're pulling at, and then also the license plate number of the of the getaway car. The uh, the video footage that we've seen doesn't show the actual crime. It just shows him going in and then his rapid exit. Have you been privy to anything further than that? Have you seen the actual restaurant footage of the crime? No, I've read the reports that he said something like, you're kidding, and um, which to me would suggest, I, I think his back was to the um, to the person when he came in, and yeah. so just to make sure the person said, um, you know, would have said his name, and then... Um, they, it's kind of odd, but the hitman looks like a hitman out of central casting. I mean, the the hoodie, the um, like he, I could see how it almost would seem like a really stupid prank. Like there's something unreal about it. He looks so much like a hitman with the hoodie over his face and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. One one thing that struck me as weird here because this is a crowded restaurant of 140 people, and the key witnesses are only feet from the shooter. Um, uh, so the detective on the case, Shannon Dawson, uh, described him publicly in the in the press press uh, release or the, the press conference as male, black, medium build. But here's the thing: she said he's five foot seven to five foot eleven. That's a four inch variance. Isn't that a big a big height range estimate? For, for for so many witnesses? Does that strike you as strange? Uh, no, because they want to keep it pretty loose because if, um, like, we didn't see what kind of shoes he had on. He was kind of slouching. It's hard to get a height when someone's on the stairs. And what they don't want is a good defense lawyer, if they're too specific, to say, you said he was 5'8", and he's really 6'1". Um, this can't be him. And you. so they, she seemed to do a lot of um, kind of... Um, keeping things open, like when she said that video doesn't give an exact color and that um, it allow for some variance there. I think that was just her being being cautious and uh, not not giving a card to play for a very good defense lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about, I don't know whether you know anything about this, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested and I'm sure our audience is interested to know, is there a going rate for a hitman? Uh, in Toronto, um, what what's it cost to, um, get, to get somebody uh, killed? Uh, the the College Street murder, the one at the Sicilian Sidewalk Cafe, that was a hundred thousand. That's the highest I've ever heard being paid, and that was over a um, multi million dollar drug rip off, and it was like an in house hitman, and so it was it was almost like a firm having in house counsel. This guy charged a lot, but then they made a lot of money off what he did. I think the uh, I've heard of five thousand as being more of a going rate, and that some people will do it for fifteen hundred. And so, what you do would be connect with someone through someone who did time with someone, probably like um, you'd know someone who was was in Millhaven or someone who's in Collins Bay, and they they line up someone for you. Right, right, amazing. The is the college uh, the College Street murder been solved as yet? Yes, they got um, four convictions on that, and it was um, that one. They they cracked that one through the through the texting. I 
if if these guys didn't have encrypted text messaging and someone gets picked up on something else, then, then the thing will all open up yeah. if, or if it's easy to crack. And police are getting better at, at the encryption. And so I think it, it, it's a safe bet that whoever did the killing is doing other criminal things. And if, if he's picked up on those, then his phone's going to be very, very valuable. Do you think the shooter is local or is uh, from out of town? Uh, there were two shootings in August where it was Montrealers brought in. Um, I think there's a bit of swapping where um, Toronto gangs do Montreal things and Montreal gangs do Toronto things. Um, uh, that said, it wouldn't shock me if the um, shooter lived within five miles of the killing. Right, right. So in other words, it's it's really difficult to know. Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty good guess. Um, who we're talking about, and there's a, there's a lot of flipping back and forth between Montreal street gangs and Toronto street gangs. So I think um, it, it would be the same network either way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, we talked about this. Um, uh, we think we think that there is a chance that there could have been the shooter was guided inside the restaurant, and. The other thing, Peter, this isn't the first time the restaurant the restaurant's seen such a public assault. Do you think there's any way that they could be complicit in this? Um, no, I, I know it, it's an easy thing to to think of, but uh, my feeling is no, that um, it, it didn't feel right because the um, the owner was was very quick to comment. There was there was a different killing. Where I'm, I'm convinced that the the person running the place was complicit. And when I went by to ask him about it, he went right off the deep end. Like he, I could hear his voice screaming at me from uh, far, far away as I was leaving. Like right, right. He, he, he was a real red button. With this one here, it's um, um, it, it isn't the right tone. Also, I, I think it it would be much, much easier to um, just to. To keep an eye on the guy. Um, some of the bad guys now use Dropbox, where they'll drop a whole bunch of information on a target into a a site on the internet, and then the the people who who have a chance of killing him will just be watching that, and so they'll see, you know, a certain car with a certain license plate. Um, um, someone will report that that just went in to the parking lot by a restaurant, and then they're they're tipped off, and they start to move that way with. Um, texting now it, it allows people to um, uh, to just have the the people that they're after to, to drop it in there, and um, you can sort of loosely keep an eye on things. And yeah. you can have a parking lot attendant or a maitre d or someone helping you out. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've I've made half a dozen attempts to reach out and and connect with uh, Detective Dawson at Fifty Two Division here in Toronto, um, and. Uh, I've been unsuccessful uh, as yet, but I'll I'll keep trying. I, I was looking at the the Toronto stats recently. I think there's been 55 murders so far for the year as of November. Um, the uh, uh, the the stats, however, for Division 52, tell us that there's only one murder for the year. So I'm assuming that the homicide squad at 52 Division. Uh, can can pitch the whole of their resources to this one to this one murderer, this one crime. Would would that be correct in your experience? Um, I I think that it would be a, a kind of a more general 
like I don't think they'd just go division by division. Right? So I think that people would be would be able to to float a bit with homicide. Like okay. I don't think that um, that it'd be too rigid of a line. I think one thing too, if you look at those um, those statistics, it's an awful constant that about a third are domestic and they're very easily solved. Yeah. And so the the kind of the who done it um, uh, type of murder, which this is, is, is quite rare. Yeah. And and it's very very hard to um, to solve. Yeah. Do you have any idea of the number of uh, unsolved mur- murders in Toronto each each year? Um, no, but the mob ones, very very few are solved, and and when they're solved, they're solved on a um, uh, something else comes along. Someone's picked up on a drug case, and his phone yields something, or um, there was there was one case where someone left his couldn't remember his internet password, and so he left it on a sticky note and police investigating a drug case went in there and, and it connected them to a homicide. And so just a stupid memory lapse by a criminal, um, they, something will come out there. Why, they, there's no doubt that the solution to this crime is on the internet and it can be hidden, but it can't be erased. Okay. Why do, why do you say that? Um, because at some point um, you can encrypt things, but you can't kill things. And at some point, um, Say if the if the shooter is caught, then if he doesn't cut a deal, he gets 25 years before he has a chance of parole. Okay. Um, that the the shooter is probably 25 or so right now. I mean that that's a huge amount of time off in the future for something that he maybe got five thousand dollars for to give up 25 years of your life is a pretty um, a pretty big thing. And it's not like the shooter is is sharing in the profits of any crime. And so. I don't think it would be that hard to cut a deal with that person so that parole eligibility comes in quickly. The uh, and they maybe charge him with seconds. There's a a guy who killed two people, um, very very thought out murder, and he's he's eligible for parole now after um, 12 years. When if he had been caught on first degree, which um, by the letter of the law, it's hard to see how it wasn't first degree. I mean, it was a very very planned murder or set of murders. Um, but he cut a deal, and so now he can, you know, has some hope of getting out. Yeah, well, let's... Uh, um, pre- you know, Sorry, go on. Well, the honor among thieves thing is, um, it's it's a nice theory, but it doesn't really hold up. I mean, people are squealing on each other all the time. It's just who squeals first and best. So if you, you think uh, if he's cornered, he'll roll over? Um, I don't know why he wouldn't. You know, like, I... I I I would be shocked if the person who pulled the trigger had any kind of personal relationship at all with the victim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a job. And um, sometimes, like with the one I was just talking about, the the people didn't pay the hitman. They mistreated the hitman, and so then he turns on them. They, you're not dealing with nice people or honest people, and so there'll be some grudges pop up, and it creates an opening for... Um, for crown attorneys to cut deals. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I, I want to I want to read a statement that uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory made when he was interviewed immediately following the murder, and and uh, and welcome your uh, your reaction to that. I'll, I'll just let me read it. The fact of the matter is, and these are facts coming right from the police, that the majority, significant majority of these incidents that are happening of this kind are gang-related or have some suspicious relationship to gang activity. 
John, Mayor John Tory said as he pushed for a redevelopment of the area, whatever that means. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I agree with him, and I, I think to see Gang suggest it's um, it's kind of, that maybe gives the feeling that it's a little younger and a little more spontaneous. I I I use organized crime instead of gang. Like right. this, um, even if the, the shooter was was young, I, I'd be very shocked if the people ordering the uh, the murder weren't um, older and more established. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about motives and a potential a potential major cause. Or I'm interested in your your hunch. I guess um, from where from where I can see it, there are there look to be three potential motives or or areas of uh, of of uh, I don't know what I I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but three areas that that for consideration. First would be um, Simon Giannini had a had an investment vehicle that uh, he'd invite amounts. I think even smaller amounts, like twenty or thirty thousand dollars, inviting people to invest in what he called transit real estate trust or fund, where he'd invite people to invest. That's that's one area. Uh, it's it's pretty well known that he was going through a a messy divorce. I guess that's got to be another area for consideration. And the third is this brother who lives in Thailand. Do you do you have a theory or a or a favourite one among those three? It's funny because I keep bouncing around between them. The um, with a contract killing, it's first degree murder. That's twenty five years before you have a chance at parole. So, you know, if I got ripped off for twenty thousand dollars, I'd be extremely upset. But I wouldn't be. You know, that's what seven hundred and fifty dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You know, for the money you got ripped off for. So that. Um, and this sounds crass, but you could probably beat the money out of them like i know someone who used to collect debts for bad people and you didn't have to get to the murder stage to get most people to agree with you yeah the um the punishing the brother that's not out of the question the um i can think of another one where someone who was totally totally innocent was killed just because he had two brothers who were involved in crime and they wanted to punish, like wanted to send a message. If I, I definitely would want to know about the brother. The, um, their, their divorces, sadly, there are divorces every day all around us and um, they don't end this way. And this was a, I don't know, that, that one seems to me um, pretty, um, pretty severe for, you know, if every third person is getting divorced, it it seems it seems pretty pretty extreme. I, yeah, I yeah. Um, it's funny because you keep bouncing from theory to theory, though, and it um, it's quite thought out. I mean, if there's another person in the restaurant, then that's another person being paid, and another person who's a liability. So now you're up to three people, like the one ordering it, and then the um, uh, the one in the restaurant and then the one doing the shooting and probably the one who set up the shooter. So now you're up to four. That's a lot of people to to trust with your future. Like yeah. how many people do you really, really trust with your future? Yeah. Yeah. What do we know about Francois? Or I think he's known as Frank. Uh, he, uh, he lives in Bangkok in Thailand and um, is said to be uh, involved in, uh, I don't know, shady circles. 
Yeah, that's um, the stuff you read over there is is pretty lurid. The um, it's coming from one source, but um, but it, it's pretty powerful stuff. The uh, so you know, drugs, people being ripped off. Um, on the other hand, there is there also apparently was an estrangement between the victim and his brother. Um, I one thing I've been trying to find out is where's the brother now. Yeah, yeah, that I seems mean, it, to be uh, if he came difficult. home. But you'd guess that he came home for the funeral, and so um, if if I was him, I'd be um, I'd be very very nervous. Like I would, um, I'd be kind of clinging to safe places and safe people, and I don't know if I'd be going back over there. Yeah, well, it seems to be there's something there's something going on. So, so your hunch is is uh, is between something that uh, Giannini was involved in personally, or or uh, something to do with the brother. Um, my hunch is that something around, not necessarily the brother. I'm not saying the brother did it, just but just that environment that that bled over to the victim. You know that if um, um, bad people would know about him and bad people would know about his money and um, you know maybe extort him or something. like who knows. But it, my feeling is that it's. Um, it, seems quite um quite thought out quite organized I, i've been trying to get into um uh, who finances what um it is a it sounds horrible but this is a, a way to get taken seriously if you think people are are toying with you and you do something like this they'll start listening a little bit more yeah. so yeah. it could it could be um kind of a shot across the bow for somebody else that, um, you know, we did it to him. Where do you think you're that safe? Yeah. I, I don't think the, there's any, I have, nobody's come up with anything that the victim did that, that, that suggests that this is, that he brought this upon himself. Yeah. Is, is it your experience, Peter, that, uh, in, in Toronto where there's a murder, like it's it's more than two months ago now, and and the media is silent, the police are silent. It's kind of like it didn't happen. So they've either got nowhere to go, or they're pursuing inquiry. Do you think it would be likely that that if they had nowhere to go and they had nothing, they'd be back to the public to uh, try and reignite some interest and maybe uh, maybe flush somebody out who can offer some more information. No, because I think there, there's some things they did do, like they did say that they don't think it's connected to the divorce. And so, I mean, that's the obvious first place to look, and they quickly closed that one down. Um, I think that I think that it's smart not to say much because the um, let the people who did it stew, let them wonder, let them, when there's a knock on the door or they get a text or, you know, they get, Every time they step outside, they they wonder. Yeah. Um, I I think sometimes silence can be extremely powerful. And what was said at the press conference was very smart and very targeted, appealing to people who might have seen something, and um, also maybe appealing to the family members and um, close acquaintances of of people involved. And so I think that was a smart seed to plant. I think it's been um, quite intelligent the way the police have, have played this so far. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm out of questions and uh, <laughs> and I'm out of ideas, but I, wa- I want to thank you for your time today. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I think, I mean, the one person I think we'd all like to talk to is the brother. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if um, that that's the one person who um, uh, that person, he, his theories are, you know, would be the most interesting right now. And this is, um, it, uh, one thing that hits me too, that, that just thinking about this case is that it, this sounds awful, but the amount of murders compared to how cheap it is to get a murder, that people are actually quite restrained. I mean, you can buy a good bicycle for, for more than it costs to, to end a human life. Really? Really, eh? Yeah, I was thinking yeah, the same thing. And there, yeah, and there are a lot of people buying bikes, and there's not that many people ordering murders. I mean, maybe we're <laughs> a little better behaved than we like to like to say sometimes. Well, the consequences of taking a life are are, uh, uh, are pretty enormous. I was I was I was listening on the news this week, and you know we we. Uh, we pride ourselves in living in, in one of the most uh, livable cities anywhere in the world. Toronto ranks very, very well and very high. Um, compared to somewhere or a country like Mexico, where so far this year there's been over 20,000 murders, obviously related to drugs and crime and things that, that go on down there. So, um, uh, so, But at the same time, it just I find it alarming that somebody can go into a crowded restaurant and put four bullets into a person and, and two and a half months later, there's just silence. I guess that's the thing that baffles me. One thing with, when you said Mexico that um, that jumps out is that Juarez in one year had 3,700 murders, like yeah. 3,700, and that city's half the size of Toronto. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it is quite safe here. I think it shows how... Um, we should be getting alarmed over every murder and we should be taking it seriously. When, when people get numb and just let them go, um, uh, it can get pretty, uh, pretty horrific. The, um, um, my feeling is it will be solved though. And it will be solved through text messaging. And there are just too many, too many threads that, you know, any one of them could close it. The, you had to get the shooter, you had to get the shooter, with a gun you had to get the person to set up the shooter to let the shooter know you um there's a vehicle involved and so it's either stolen or from someone else there's there's all these different things that any one of them could pull police in and um there's no statute of limitations i mean this person until he's caught will will always have the cloud yeah yeah and and bad bad people sell out bad people i mean it's not just the good guys on one side and the bad guys on the other. The way a lot of drug dealers get taken off the street is that other drug dealers squeal on them so they can get their territory. And so this person has to look all around him all the time, and whatever he got paid, he's um, um, it's very, very little compared to what the risk was. If the, if the brother is a person of interest and he's living overseas, do Toronto Police or the uh, province of Ontario have the resources to pursue that? I mean, if they want to talk to this guy, did you say he did come back to the funeral for the funeral or not? Uh, uh, that's what I'm trying to check right now. Like there was someone I, I was um, trying to get prepared for for this interview. I was talking to someone who, who I thought would know, and um, the feeling was he probably did come back. Yeah. Um, 
and kept a very low profile. It'd be very hard not to. Yeah. And and please do homicide. Please do travel for homicide. Um, they can do that, eh? And oh yeah, and, and I mean, you're we're really we're really twelve or fifteen hours from almost anywhere. Yeah. Like so, getting to Thailand isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well. Um... I'd love you to keep me uh, up to date and uh, maybe we'll get the chance. I don't know. This is the second episode of the show. I don't know where I'm going after this. I, uh, I'm kind of out of leads, uh, pretty much like you are. But uh, uh, we'd love to know more if, uh, if, if, uh, if you hear anything. Yeah, and I, I, um, um, I'm, I'm sorry I was kind of dozing on this at first, but I, you kind of reignited me on, on it. <laughs> cool. I, um, well, like I... Like I uh, I've just been sort of swamped with a whole bunch of things, and then this one, um, you'd normally think, with murders, it sounds awful, but you think, don't get too excited because it'll be solved in four days anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, that someone, someone's girlfriend's going to squeal on them or something, and it'll be over before you get all the names straight. This one, um, it really does have um, some things dangling out there, and the hitman has to make a a big decision. Um, and some of these, some of these guys do it thinking, thinking they're moving up in that world, but every time they do it, they're that much more vulnerable. Yeah. And the, um, I'm trying to interview now a hitman in custody who uh, killed two people for 50,000, which is quite a bit of money in that world. And, um, uh, you know, when you think about it, that's still probably going to come to 2000 a year for his time in custody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not them. You know, what's a bicycle now? Twenty five hundred. Yeah, that's crazy, eh? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a tragic victim too, because he does. You know, you sometimes when someone gets killed, we hear bad things about them after. This one, we're not. Everybody seems. I mean, there was a messy divorce, but that happens every day too with nice people. You know, people just aren't compatible. The um. The we haven't heard horrible things about the victim. I mean, he seems like he's a pretty nice guy. Have you had the opportunity to connect with any of his former employees or work colleagues? Uh, no, no. It's just we we usually get stuff coming back where the internet we get the um, you should know this, you should know that, and um, um, Someone in, I, I did know someone in real estate who's just talking about their general reputation, saying it was a strong reputation, you know, that um, this wasn't one of the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case. Seems to be the case. It's uh... People do get par- people do get paranoid, though, and, and then with real estate, too, people sometimes think that the real estate agent is going to make their life perfect, and then they make a dumb decision, and they blame it all on the agent. Yeah. Agents get blamed for a lot of things that aren't their fault. I'm sure everybody listening to this would uh, would agree because my 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 audience are agents and uh, like we're the same as any industry. There are there there is the odd uh, the odd bad egg, but as a whole, uh, I'm I'm very proud to be part of this industry because uh, there's a lot of amazing amazing people who work very very hard. I mean, normal professionals finish at uh, five o'clock on Friday. Uh, but you know, Saturday and Sunday are our our big days, and and we keep going uh, and make a lot of sacrifices to do it. So, like I said, I'm a big I'm a big fan of of, of our industry. But um, I'm also a big fan of your writing. I love reading your articles uh, uh, in the Toronto Star. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. I, I can say a nice thing about real estate agents if you want, because I've I've actually got one in my family. Okay. Where 
like one thing I, I don't like to talk about people in my family by name just because I don't want people who are mad at me to transfer it to someone else. I understand. But but I could say um, I'm close to a real estate agent, and I um, I know that's a 24/7 job where uh, people expect their life to be transformed for you know just with a sort of a snap of a finger, or they think that someone's going to give them prices from 10 years ago, or they think that somehow you know transfer all the blame onto the agent and. Um, uh, there's a lot of misplaced anger towards real estate agents that um, it, it, I, I don't, I think it's, um, it's, a, it's an extremely tough business where you're not guaranteed anything except that you're going to be phoned and texted and emailed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I don't know. That's not a very good comment, but pretty much. Well, I th- I think a lot of time as well, uh, you know, it's pretty much the, the same in life. We we often remember the bad experiences and quickly forget the good ones. We often forget our you know forget our wins and and focus on our failures, which is uh, which is never the, never the right thing to do. I mean, real estate get it right is a very rewarding career. And and I guess as far as as you know, this murder goes, the thing that shocks me is kind of one of our own's been taken down. I didn't know the guy. I don't think you knew him either, but uh, a lot of people did and. He did have a great reputation. If it was murky, or there was something wrong, or there, or there was something in the closet that that uh, was going to come out, I figure it probably would have happened by now. So, um, it just seems to be such a targeted assault on on an innocent victim, I guess. Yeah, and I um, I remember there were a couple um, female real estate agents who were targeted uh, quite a while ago, and um, it just pointed to a vulnerability. Yep. Yep. Like like real estate agents seem approachable just by the nature of their job. Like you see their smiling face, and you you think you can come up to them. Um, There's uh, over seventy thousand real estate agents here in the Greater Toronto area, so uh, I think there's only forty odd thousand in in all of Australia and New Zealand. So there are plenty of agents here, and fortunately, <laughs> uh, fortunately, uh, most of us are okay, which is uh, which is good to know. When all you see is the sale, you don't see all the work leading up to the sale. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I did, I learned quite a bit about real estate through another person recently, and it's a very, very tough job, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Uh, it's been great, and okay. uh, please please be sure to keep me in the loop. Okay, and thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Cheers, Peter. Bye-bye. I have to say I'm encouraged by Peter's optimism that the case will eventually be solved and from what we've heard he seems to have his ear to the ground and will be on the lookout for any new developments. But one thing that's piqued my interest this week is the victim's investment business. What if someone invested way more than $20,000 and what if something happened beyond Giannini's control? I'm always suspicious where large sums of money are involved. I wonder. And I wonder about the getaway car. The traffic was slow that night and the waiter raced out and got the plate. But nothing from the cops about that either. Just silence. And I wonder about the brother. Did he return to Toronto for the funeral? Was he questioned by police? Maybe the reason Detective Dawson isn't calling me back is because she's in Thailand looking to interview Frank Giannini. Who knows?
It's well known that the victim wanted nothing to do with his brother, so maybe the brother deserves a closer look. That's next time on Who Killed the Agent. Who Killed the Agent is a special presentation for the Top Agents Playbook podcast and was written and recorded by Ray Wood at Prime Media Studios in Toronto, Canada. For links, a transcript of this podcast, photos, and video, including the Toronto Police Press Conference and security footage of the alleged gunman at the scene, go to topagentsplaybook.com slash whokilledtheagent. To receive automatic delivery of the next episode, join Ray's VIP list at topagentsplaybook.com.